socialites and welcome back to the social studies podcast the podcast where we study being social by being social just want to start by thanking every single one of our patreon subscribers we had a zoom comedy show for the patreon subscribers with other teacher comedians oh oh perfection it was perfection i loved it and i think you guys loved it too if you want to become a patreon fan for five bones a month you get four teacher zoom happy hour comedy shows with teachers from all over the world teacher comedians that is right Come on over. You're going to get that, all the bonus content from the Social Studies podcast and also from Let's Watch TV. And I'm throwing little, you know, tidbits out there as it is here and there. Some freebies, some giveaways. And Patreon is where you learn about me going on the road first and my tour dates and the ticket links. That's where it goes before anywhere else. Come join us. Patreon.com slash Joe Dombrowski. And thank you to everyone who's already on Patreon because your Patreon subscriptions, how we keep the podcast going. So I thank you all so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And if you're not yet, come on over and we'll see you at the next Zoom comedy happy hour show. A lot has changed, you guys. I do have some news. You're currently listening to the voice of America's newest kindergarten teacher. Finally. Yes. Oh, my God. Can't wait. Literally cannot wait. The school that I've been going through interviews with also uh, five rounds of interviews. Okay. Slightly exhausted. But we did it. They added an emergency section of kindergarten to get their class sizes down enough so that they can teach uh, in person safely. Now is the part where you're going to want to kill me because there's, you know, about 10 kids in my class. So let's see. It's going to be crazy. Downside to that is our classroom is the old library. So, (laughs) I don't know if that's fantastic or not, but we're going to find out very quickly, aren't we? I'm going to tell you more about that on the Patreon. I'm going to give you all the dirty details. Go over there. Listen to it. We don't got time right here, right now, but I'll let you in on it there. Patreon.com slash Joe Dombrowski. Yo, so excited for this episode, talking about teaching. We have the Michigan Teacher of the Year, who could potentially be the teacher of the year for all of the United States. Fun fact, I went to high school with Owen Bondano. Owen holds a very special place in my heart because uh, we are two of the only LGBTQ students in our high school at the time, which was difficult, but we had each other and it was fantastic. And I'm so proud of him for now being the Michigan Teacher of the Year, representing all of our rainbow teachers and representing them very well. I can't wait for you to listen and learn. So I'm just going to throw it on over to the Social Studies Podcast with Owen Bondano. Try to catch me howling at the moon. Um, not often, not often do I get somebody who I know in a very deeply rooted sense from back when I was just like wild and crazy Joey romping around high school. Welcome to the Social Studies Podcast. The one and only Michigan Teacher of the Year, Mr. Owen Bondano. 
I'm very excited to be here. Oh my God, I'm so happy to have you. I mean, I feel like the last time I saw you, I'm going to say it was like graduation. It might have been. In or person. Thereafter, yeah. Where did you end up going to college? Uh, Wayne State. I remember you went to Wayne. So for the listeners at home, Owen and I are familiar with each other because we went to high school together and we were both mm-hmm. very theatrical. <laughs> <laughs> We were in the theater uh-huh. and the choir and the everything. Mm-hmm. And it was great. I have I have some really good memories of being in high school with you. Yeah, me too. I do still think of you as a baby because you were a whole grade younger than me. So you're a fetus. Sorry. <laughs> a whole grade. Isn't it crazy how like when you're in high school, you think of people and you're like, oh my God, they're in 10th grade and I'm a senior. And then you mm-hmm. get in your 30s and you're just like they're seven years younger than me i could probably still date them yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy how that works do you Mm -hmm. still um indulge in the art uh yeah i so i think the art that i still practice the most is writing i do a lot of writing um a lot of writing fiction i don't want to be that like person who's like i'm working on a novel but i'm working on a novel um i love it uh, i do still sing just for my own sake like you know whatever um i was lucky enough to marry a woman who is an excellent singer even though she's untrained and so car rides between us are super fun when we turn on the broadway music and stuff like that and um most of my instrument playing has fallen by the wayside but i still indulge now and then i am in the same boat too i am currently partnered with a untrained amazing singer to the point where wherever we're at drunken karaoke and he gets up and does this thing people are like where did you train and i'm like don't give him that no. <laughs> don't. my wife is so clueless about how good she is like she'll literally be singing along to like julia to julie andrews like hitting all the high notes and then when i'm like oh yeah she's a soprano she's like i am and i'm like oh, <laughs> oh god <laughs> just, that makes me want to just like rip my own ears right? off is she from michigan uh, she's from uh, Ontario. That's actually why I live in Windsor now um, is because I married a Canadian. I saw the Canadian flag behind you. Yeah. So you live in, okay, let's back this train up. You sure. live in Ontario. You teach yes. in Michigan. Yes. Okay. So pre-pandy, were you living in Canada? Yep. I live in Windsor. So I live, I live literally like when you get off of the ambassador bridge, you're less than five minutes from my house. Um, so I would... I would commute across the Ambassador Bridge twice a day pre-pandemic. So what people don't understand is from where we grew up, it was within our culture to turn 19, cross that yeah. bridge and get uh-huh. totally drunk yeah. <laughs> and then come back to the United States the next day. Absolutely. So, so this isn't as crazy as our listeners in like, I don't know, yeah. Iowa might think it is. Like my commute is like, if I hit a bunch of traffic on the bridge, it's maybe half an hour. Mm-hmm. So I have people who live in the States and work with me who, you know, commute 45 minutes to an hour every day. So like my community isn't, isn't even all that bad comparatively. Do you have dual, dual citizenship? I will eventually. Right now okay. I'm a permanent resident of Canada, but you have to be a permanent resident for a certain number of years before you can apply for citizenship. So, you know, what's crazy. I remember just like crossing the bridge when I was younger and with, okay. Owen and I grew up in this, like in a very like white community, like mm-hmm. being two of the only LGBT people in high school was scary and unique but Mm -hmm. i remember crossing the bridge and going to canada and being like oh this is what culture is like Mm -hmm. like i had like indian food for the first time and stuff like that i mean i you know i've lived in a lot of different places around metro detroit as i grew up and there is a lot of culture there for sure it's just Mm -hmm. very segregated but yeah over here like 
So I live like two blocks from the elementary school in my neighborhood. And so there's lots of like, I see kids every morning walking to school and stuff with their parents. And if I'm out in the front porch, I just hear so many different languages streaming past. And there's so many people in my neighborhood from just all over the world, immigrants and non-immigrants alike, who are just like every color of the rainbow, just in my little neighborhood. It's great. I love it. I, I live in a duplex and my neighbor next door, we can only communicate with Google Translate open on my phone because he speaks no English and I speak no Arabic, but we're just like, we're going to make it work. <laughs> What's up? <Yeah>. For sure. <laughs> uh, we moved to Seattle. I've lived in Seattle for almost three years now. And it is, I'm just, Seattle people would not tell you that it's diverse. They, they um, actually often say how not diverse they think it is. And I was like, I don't think you know what not diverse is. Yeah. And the thing about Metro Detroit is it's, it, it is diverse. It's incredible diverse but the problem is is that everybody is still incredibly siloed in their own neighborhoods so you can grow up mm. and see only people who look like you because you don't go 15 minutes down the road to the place where everyone looks different from you and it's so historical too yeah. down the lines of redlining and further yeah it's just kind of like what shape that it is so you at wayne you studied to be a teacher um for the second half of my time at wayne i did what'd you start with I initially went to school for vocal music performance and music business, double major. Yes, Kate. Um, I did that for like three years before I was like, oh, wow, this is not what I want to do professionally. And I switched to English education. Now, I will say this too. Some of the greatest teachers that I know were not, no hold against people who this is their lineage, but you know, those people who come into the interviews and they're like, you're like, why do you want to be a teacher? And they're like, I used to play teacher at home with my little sisters and it's like cute girl cute but I think some of the best teachers ever are people who are second career teachers or switched like because you have such vast interests outside and then you become a teacher yeah what do you teach now English ninth grade ninth grade English well the creative writing yes my, my babies my ninth grade babies I adore ninth grade so much dude listen like credit <laughs> i just love their first coming into high school and so in some ways there's still these like doe-eyed babies who like are like looking around the school like oh it's so big all these seniors blah 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 but then at the same time they all think they're already grown and they can like do whatever they want and it's my job to both be like you can do it you can embrace this new world and also be like but you can't do that no Oh, yeah. that's how I feel about kindergarten. That's why I love yeah, kindergarten. Yeah. And you're probably like, oh, hell no. Oh, no, I could never do kindergarten. <laughs> I, I substitute taught in kindergarten like twice back when I was still getting my degree and like never again. No, thank you. Oh, same. I literally, the highest I ever did was sixth grade. The, I got lucky when I taught sixth. Sixth was, I had a good group of mm. sixth graders. Then I taught fourth for about seven, four or five years. And then I taught fifth. And when I taught fifth, I was like, this is where I draw the line. <laughs> like, the thing about sixth graders, though, six, it's like, um, I don't know math, but like there's a curve, there's a bell curve, but like reverse where like there's the two peaks on the end and the trough in the middle. That trough in the middle is sixth grade. Between my pre-student teaching, uh, working, teaching summer school for years while I was getting my degree, all the way through my current professional experience, like all that stuff, I have literally taught third grade through um, seniors. And then in subbing, I've gotten everything under the sun. Oh, yeah. Um, I subbed for two years. And in all of that, I have noticed that sixth grade is the worst. Like, my hat's <laughs> off entirely to anybody who loves teaching sixth grade because they're like all of the turbulent hormonal middle schoolness going on, which I taught middle school for years and I love middle school kids, but they're all of that turbulence without any of the prefrontal development that allows like an eighth grader to sometimes set aside that business in order to focus 
plus like the whininess of childhood is still there it's like just whiny turbulent drama all the time with sixth graders oh and and let me tell you what about sixth grade this is i think it's the first time you realize it like hardcore realize it the girls are women and the men the boys are children yeah and it's like no no like this puberty thing everything we taught you is real (laughs) Yep. It's crazy. Although I taught eighth grade for a few years. And one of my favorites was when you would have two boys in the class who were like best friends. And one of them like looked like an adult man. A man. Yep. And the other one was like four feet tall green bean boy. Like that, <laughs> you know, I do. That That's like one of the um, very, very few things that I did appreciate about being up there, but never. I also taught um, when I taught sixth grade, I was in Utica community schools still because oh, wow. I, I student taught like right where we grew up in the same district. And then my first job was in there too, in sixth. But you know how most of the schools in our district, sixth grade was still elementary? Yeah. That's what it was. So my theory on this is sixth graders who have sixth grade as part of a K-6 school are a little bit reverted. Mm, I can see that. Yeah, they were still like very, like I, so many of them, I'm like, I wish you were in a conventional middle school because like you need to be exposed. Yeah. And it was just, how many years have you taught in places that are middle school based? So the sixth graders I've taught were in middle school. But, but now you're in a high school setting. Are you in like a, okay. Yeah. And how many years have you taught total? Um, This is my sixth year officially. Get it. Um, I, like I said, I taught. So when I was in the second half of my degree, when I say I was at Wayne State forever, to go all the way back, um, what I mean by that is I took nine years to get my bachelor's degree. Hey, uh, you did it. Degree, right, I did it. My, my joke is my sister got her bachelor's degree in two years. My mother took about 30. So as long as I came between the two of them, doing fine. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, you know, I had the first three years as a music degree. And then the way that they run the music degree, at least at Wayne State, is like you start off semester one hardcore music classes and you sort of pepper in your general education credits where you can fit them. Mm-hmm. So when I transitioned out of the College of Music, I was like, I have nothing. I'm like a second semester student as far as credits are concerned. Um, And so then I started over again and then like life happens. I'm in my early then mid twenties. I've got an apartment all of a sudden. I've got like bills to pay. And so for my last few years, I was going to school part-time and working full-time. And in that I worked as a substitute teacher for two years. I worked as a special education paraprofessional for a few years. I was teaching summer school as a teacher, even though I was non-certified for like four or five summers before I actually got my degree. So I really have like a decade of professional experience. You know, I totally agree with that too. People always ask me too, well, why do you say you taught for 10 years? Well, personally, it's because the one year that I did as a long-term substitute, I had full responsibility of the classroom teacher. The only difference was I was getting paid $80 a day. And when I was student teaching I was teaching as a full-time teacher for free so Uh yes those two years count yeah and most of my student teaching I was actually by myself because unfortunately my my mentor teacher had to have a surgery that took her out of the classroom for literally two months Mm -hmm. and so the last two months of my student teaching I was by myself just making it work so I kind of had the same situation happen too where uh, I actually student taught in fifth my my placement was a dream that my cooperating student teacher and I are still like this. I was just talking to her the other day, flashback just for a second. So you fully understand for my birthday that year, when I turned 22, she got me tickets to Lollapalooza. Like we were, <laughs> we were, yeah, 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 yeah. But sixth grade teacher broke her back while pregnant. Oh, geez. So I graduated early to 
be the long term. And I had like rush certificate and everything like that too. Mm-hmm. That type of teaching will, I, I, they do, what it takes to be a teacher, they don't teach you in your bachelor's. Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. no, you'll learn it on the job. Yeah. So, and your charter. No, I was. I was charter for my the first. So most of my pre being certified experience was in charter schools, mm-hmm. um, except for my student teaching where I student taught at Cast Tech, which was amazing. Oh, my God. Um, you taught at Cast Tech? Yeah, I taught seniors at Cast Tech for my um, for my student teaching under the amazing Angela Johnson, who also was like really big in the AFT and like just an amazing person. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, a few weeks ago, passed of COVID. Oh, no. Um, but she was amazing um and but my other experience besides that before that was all charter and then I did my most of my first year of teaching in charter but then in March of my first official year I got the job for Oak Park Public Schools and I've been in Oak Park Public Schools ever since. Cast Tech for those of you who don't know is like one of the premier Detroit public schools that building is gorgeous. Yes it is. To simply even drive past it is gorgeous. You know what? It was so wild being at Cast Tech because like before that, a lot of my experience was in Detroit charter schools where I got a lot of firsthand experience with um, the ways that kids who did not grow up the way we grew up mm-hmm. live and, mm-hmm. and learn. And I learned very quickly how to adapt my ideas about teaching to those populations of students. And then I got to Cast Tech where like the building is beautiful. The reputation is immaculate. Um, you know, the, there's a big rivalry in Detroit public schools about whether Renaissance or Cass is the better high school, but like yeah. inarguably one of those is the top, you know, they are the top two for sure. But even there, there were these wild, crazy things that never would have happened in our rich suburban schools, mm-hmm. like not enough classrooms still in that building. There would be teachers teaching off of carts and moving from room to room on their, on other teachers prep hours because there weren't enough classrooms. I remember days where the Wi-Fi would just die for the entire building for the whole day. Like stuff that never would have happened in our rich suburban school that was a very good school, but didn't have the kind of reputation as Cast Tech has. But because this is a Detroit school, there were all these challenges that you wouldn't expect to be there. You know what? I hear you loud and clear, but I do have to say that when I, I student taught in our district where we went to school and I student talk in the Cast Tech of Elementary of Utica Community Schools, if you will, okay. <laughs> and everything that you said also happened to me. Hmm. Like I had, like I, there were teachers in that building too who taught on the car. And I also, I very strongly believe what's happening too, which is such a disservice the two things that disgust me the most about public education system is the distribution of wealth, which is completely unjust, but the bougie rich white schools and the issues that those students have are often overlooked because Mm -hmm. they're so deeply rooted in curriculum numbers and data that the students who had experiences like ours, who Mm -hmm. are some of the only LGBT kids or the students who are diverse in their culture. Those are the students who are really struggling because they're so so not used to having it, but it's there too, you know? So it's kind of like, yikes. I was in the charter school. There was a big stigma sometimes when a teacher would leave the charter school for a suburban district, you know, there would be talk in the teacher's lounge about, you know, uh, well, I guess they want to go where it's easy or whatever. There was that kind of like a mentality about it. But I remember um, the director of special education that I worked under when I was a special ed para, she was amazing. Um, I learned so much from her that I, would never have learned in my degree or anything like that just by being in her department. But she would always say, remember that every place has its own challenges and different people are suited to different challenges. And that's something that I've like carried with me 
in my teaching since then. Because yeah, you're, you're right. There's no such thing as really like an easy job or an easy placement. I, I have a, a coworker who recently went from working with us in Oak Park to working in Bloomfield Hills, world of difference, but it doesn't mean that her job is easy and it doesn't mean that she doesn't have problems. She just has a completely different set of problems. You know, we, mm-hmm. we talk on the phone now when she tells me about the things that she's going through and I'm like, wow, I don't know how I would deal with those things. I'll, <laughs> right. I'll take my problems. Right. You know? <laughs> and I, you know, the majority of my experience after uh, my first position as long-term was all in title schools. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you what, those challenges are different, but like they are what I preferred. Because mm-hmm. I did sell my soul to the devil and taught in a bougie bougetastic <laughs> bouge school after that for one year. And I was like, get me. Is it is it is it an out? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, were you always out as a trans man in your whole teaching career? Nope. Nope, nope, nope. I started off very much in the closet. Same, same. I definitely... Well, it was funny because so. So if, I'm sorry. Let me just back you up just a little bit too. In the closet, professionally, but you were out in your social life. Yes. Yeah. Um, same. I've same. always been out socially, but yeah, in my professional life, and then even very quickly, it, it always became like I'm out to my coworkers, but not out to the students. Like okay. mm-hmm. to, to dice it even finer here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. I was very afraid of being out with my students, and a lot of it was being afraid for my job. You know, I didn't want to get fired. And even if I had principals who said like, oh yeah, we support you, no worries. Like as a queer person, you know how quickly public, the, the mob mentality of the public can change things. And so my real fear was like that mob of parents who would find out that their you know child was being taught by a trans person and then they would rally together and then the principal would have to cave or whatever. And that would be that. So that was a big fear. And then I also had a fear that, you know, it's my it's my belief that, good teaching comes from good relationships and that those relationships are absolutely the bedrock of what we do. And so I was afraid that I would have students who wouldn't be able to create a relationship with me. If I was out, they would just throw up a wall and then that would mean I could never make that relationship happen. And luckily since coming out to my students, that has not really been an issue. I have found that that for the most part, you know, if it is an issue, it's not one that ever I ever see. It's one that they managed to keep in the background of things. But yeah, those relationships have been fine since then. Um, I've been out now. This is my second year being totally out to all my students and stuff like that. And I've had so many like delightful moments with my students of of talking about my own identity and having them either relate or um, have these like aha moment things about things. I'm also bi and I'm out to my students as bi as well. And like one thing that will always stay in my heart is after this discussion, I don't even remember during class at what point my bisexuality came up, but apparently it did because I had a student who, when the bell rang, she was doing that thing where she was packing up real slow. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh Waiting for everyone else to leave. And I'm like, "Hmm, all right. And when it's just the two of us in the classroom, she says, I can't believe that you just said you're bisexual. And I was like, well, well I am. And she said, yeah, but you just said it like it wasn't a big deal. And I said, it's not a big deal. And she was like getting visibly worked up and she goes, but you just said it like you're not ashamed. And I said, I'm not ashamed. And there was a long pause. And then she said, I guess I'm still a little bit ashamed. Oh. And that was the conversation. That was the moment. Yeah. And I got to watch the rest of the school year as this, this 14 year old girl, like really started to settle into who she was. So I, I honestly, truly do not at all regret coming out. And I only wish I had been able to do it sooner. Because I can only imagine that, you know, I see these kids now that I've built this relationship with 
and I, I've had these moments with, and I can only imagine that I missed so many of those. Oh my God. Literally, you know what this means in teaching. I have the, (laughs) I'm doing, I'm giving Owen the same signal. Mm -hmm. I, so I, um, over the years, as I've been teaching longer and longer, a lot of my students are starting to, there are a lot of them are in college now or high school and coming out. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible to hear from them. Like every time one of my students who's somewhere in our rainbow family comes out to me, I choke up, can't help it, can't help it. But I think about it all the time. And I think about, again, just like you said, all the students who I did a disservice to by not being my innate, organic, beautiful self, who I'm very proud of. And I, people have asked why, like, why are you so comfortable in doing this in, in your practice? And I personally believe that our students, no matter who they are, regardless, are going to encounter gay and trans. And then I'm only, I'm speaking for us because it's us in the room right now. They are going to meet gay and trans people along the way. And I want to be one of two things. I either want them to go along and when they meet another person who's not me to say, you know what? I knew a gay person. He was my teacher. He cared about me a lot. This person might be cool too. Or I want them to say, I had a gay teacher. He was a bit of an ass, but but he cared about me. Yeah. So this person must be cool. Because, you know, as teachers, we don't have to like everyone. They just have to think we do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. But I do think about that often and how important, like, you know, we you hear so much, especially now about representation, representation. And for, you know, for people who are not different in whatever way you're going to say that you're different. I, I hope that they can like just a little bit grasp onto that and why yeah. it's so important to have representation, especially at such young ages, like, you know, in education, like we are. Yeah. This is a topic that I've talked a lot about as Michigan teacher of the year. It's one of those things that I've made part of my core of this in this role, you know, as mm-hmm. I want to be, I I'm certainly the first out trans Michigan teacher of the year. And as far as we can tell, I am the first out trans state level teacher of the year, period. Shut up. There have been other out LGBTQ state teachers of the year, many of them, uh, not that many, but a few, and many of which I have now been in contact with and talked to, uh, but they've all been somewhere in the LGB region of the of the rainbow. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I'm the first out trans guy or trans person in general. And so I, I've talked a lot about this in general. And what I what I have been telling people is that, you know, yes, it's important for the queer kids to see that there is, it's possible to have a future and be a normal person and also be queer. You know, in that way, I want to be the teacher that I needed when I was in high school. I remember us sitting around gossiping about what teachers might be gay. At the time, it was totally us just like having a good time being, you know, 16 year old kids or whatever. But like looking back, I can't help but think that that was this desperate reaching out that there might be people in the world who were adults who were like us. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be the teacher that we needed. And then for the non-queer kids, I like you said, I want them to see that queer people are also just normal people who was that teacher that cared about you and made you do your homework and made you read all those stupid books. Just like the other teachers. Right, exactly. That we are just those same people. I want them to see that as well. And and the weight of not being out like every year was heavier and heavier and heavier until finally I was like, I have to do something. I have to fix this. And I went first to my union rep and I was like, okay, if I were to come out, what, what's going to happen here? And he found some like little policy 
on like the my school board. So it wasn't in the the union contract. It wasn't anywhere in like the district policies, but in the board of education policies, the the non-discrimination policy for employment covered sexual orientation and gender identity. Great. So I was like, okay, we can, we can make the argument if something happens that that would be illegal for them to fire you on those grounds. Okay, cool. So then I talked to like my principal and my admin and stuff. And they were all like, they were all shocked that it was a question when I was like, you know, what support do I have? They were like, yeah, of course we support you. Like, why is that even a question? But again, it's that moment when you're a queer person, you know how easily that mob mentality can sway people. Oh, and, and also so- we have the we have the laws on paper, but find one little, any, like, it's just like right. when sometimes you get pulled over and you know it wasn't for what they say it was, so they just right. want to check your car. It's like, mm-hmm. we can get fired for that, the same thing too. It's like, I know this isn't because I didn't turn my report cards in late. Right. I'm right. sorry, continue. But yeah, we, we talked about it and we we made a plan. So the way that we ended up doing it, um, my big fear was that, okay, so I come out to my students, my students are understanding, it's all great, but I could just see some ninth grader going to some other teacher in the building and saying, I heard Mr. Bondano was trans. And then that teacher feeling like they need to defend me. Like that's a bad thing, you know, because that, there'd be the perception, first of all, that there's something wrong with being trans. Mm-hmm. And then second of all, that this kid is somehow trying to insult or demean me. And so they would feel the need to jump in and sort of defend me. And I did not want that. So at the start of that school year, I gave a training to my building that was ostensibly about LGBTQ safe spaces for our students. And it really was about that. But after I went through some terminology with them, some basic terminology about uh, gender uh, identity and sexual orientation. I said, so now that we have, you know, a working understanding of what all these word, words mean, here are the terms I use for myself. And I outed myself to them. And then part of the conversation we had in the training was like, what they should do if a student comes to them and says that they heard that I'm a trainee or whatever. And we had that conversation together so that everyone in the building was on one page. Yeah. that I mean, that's important too, because I, I love that phrase about feeling like you need to defend like you don't need to defend something that's not bad right yeah so if straight cisgender teachers might go to the defense as they're as because they want to protect and help but it's like if you just i always say if you make something weird it's weird if you Mm -hmm. make something normal it's normal so just be like yeah i had teachers do that too or like they would a kid would be like is mr d gay and they would be like, you know, I think you need to go talk to him. Just be like, yeah, and. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Michigan Teacher of the Year, first of all, uh, when I saw you, you it randomly popped up on my Twitter feed that yeah. you were announced. And I saw your picture first. And then I was like, why is Owen on this? And then I saw <laughs> that you were announced Michigan Teacher of the Year. Balled my face off. Aww. I think it's super important. Congratulations. Thank you. What's the process like? So you get nominated by someone else, like an administration people in your district or whatever. So you had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea. So you get a random email in like October that says, hey, you've been nominated for Michigan Teacher of the Year. And if you want to continue with the process, here's the application. Okay. So then you have to do an application, which was a lot of work. And like, you know, essay questions and getting a new resume together, which at that point I hadn't done a resume in several years. And I was like, oh boy. Um, But you do uh, part one of the application or part A, I think they call it. Mm -hmm. You submit that in like late November. And then in January, they contact you if you've moved on to part B of the application. Then you go through part B of the application, which is more essay questions and more business. 
And then they announced the regional teachers of the year. So Michigan is split into 10 regions by the Michigan Department of Education. So there are 10 regional teachers of the year. So initially I was awarded the region nine teacher of the year because region nine is all of the tri-county area except for Detroit Public Schools, which is in itself district 10. Right. And so I was the, the district nine regional teacher of the year, which this year they had to announce via Zoom because that's what life is now. Um, so that happened. And then a couple months later, they announced which of those 10. So the, the, there's another, once you're announced as the regional teacher of the year, you then get interviewed by a panel as the last step of the application for Michigan teacher of the year. And then one of the, the 10 of you wins and the whole group of 10 becomes the Michigan leadership, M MTLAC, Michigan teaching leadership Association. No. Oh my God. I can't remember acronyms. Give me a good. We're teachers. But, we have hundreds of them. I forgive right, you. Uh, but we become a, a, a council, basically, the, mm -hmm. the 10 of us that get to, first of all, just learn from a lot of really interesting people at MDE about like a whole bunch of different aspects about education that we may not be familiar with from our own little silos and also get to advise some of these people at MDE from our own experience. So basically when someone at MDE is like, I need some real teachers input on this, they can come to us and, and bring us whatever they're working on, and we can talk to them about it. Out of curiosity, how many of those were elementary and how many were uh, secondary? I think we're split about half and half this year. Cool, very cool. It's a, it's a pretty good mix. We have everything um, from early elementary all the way up through high school, and a good mix, too, of like science Subjects, and math yeah. and social studies and all that, and English, obviously, and, and a, a wide variety, too, um, Obviously, regional diversity is the whole point of the regional system, but like a, a decent amount of actual diversity within the group, too. Um, like the Region 1 Michigan Teacher of the Year, who I absolutely I adore all 10 of them, like or all nine of them, not including myself. But the Region 1 Teacher of the Year, her name is Tana, and she's she represents the entire UP. And she I, is, I was going to ask. I was like, I bet yeah, UP is just one person. It is. And she uh, she's native and she teaches in a school that is largely native. And she's on a board to get more native teachers to be nationally board certified. Mm -hmm. um, and she is incredible. Uh, so, yeah, she and I have talked a bit about native issues in education. And uh, actually, the Region 10 Teacher of the Year is my former professor from Wayne State, who no. also teaches math in DPS. And so when I saw her name as one of the regional teachers of the year, I was like, oh, my God, Professor Scott, like, <laughs> this is so great. And you guys got it together. Uh-huh. <laughs> And then you beat Professor Scott. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we love you, Professor Scott. Oh my God, winning this! I was so ridiculously unexpected because I met these people. Once we all won Regional Teacher of the Year, we met together before the whole Michigan Teacher of the Year was announced, and we were already working together. And as soon as I met these people, I was like, they are all so amazing and doing so incredible, incredible things that I literally, in my brain, said, "Okay." Like, this is as far as you go, and that's fine. Although, to be fair, I said that at literally every step of the application. Like, when I turned in part A of the application, I was like, oof, never have to think about that again. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> no, I totally understand. And then when when I met them, I was just like, there's no way. And I was fully resigned to, and not, not even resigned, happy to figure out how to best support whichever one of them ended up being Michigan Teacher of the Year. So on the Zoom call where they announced Michigan Teacher of the Year, when they said Owen Bondano, I truly had, like, that TV static in my brain for a good, like, it felt like an hour, but it was probably like 30 seconds. But yeah, I just like sat there in total disbelief because I truly, and I don't mean this to sound humble, but I no, truly, you're fine. And truly felt there was no way on earth that it was going to be me. Now, were you, 
did you talk about your experience as a trans man in those interviews leading up? Now yes. that is what's incredible to me because when I saw that you were announced, I was like, oh my God, my home state is changing for the better. This is amazing. And then I was kind of like, I wonder if they, if, if they, they know, know you, yeah. if they know or not. And to hear you say that, yes, you were your true authentic organic self is so meaningful. But that was a debate for me in, in the first part. Oh yeah. Of the- of the application and some of the essay questions, there were definitely places where it very organically fit into the narrative I was constructing about my teaching career. I hesitated and I even like talked with some friends, like, should I put this in there? Should I not? And in the end, I thought like, if I'm going to apply for this, I'm going to apply as myself. And so that's why I decided to put those those things in. And then I even asked them after I had won but when I say them, I'm talking about, um, there's a, a couple of people in the Office of Educator Excellence who are kind of like my handlers. Yeah, I've heard that that's what happens. They're, they're truly awesome. But uh, I, I asked them, like, am I the first? And, and they were even like, yeah, we think so. Like, um, not really sure, but we think so. But like, they were also excited. <laughs> Everybody I talked to at MDE was also excited and specifically excited about the kind of representation that I would bring. I love that. Yeah, it, it wasn't an afterthought. You know, I hope that it wasn't the reason I won, but it certainly wasn't an afterthought for anybody, which was really very cool, especially when I had been so nervous to even include it in the application because I thought for sure that it would be a ding against me. And I think that a lot of people don't understand that what, you know, LGBTQIA plus (laughs) humans have Uh to go through on a daily basis is things like that. Like when we fill out applications for, you know, a home, Uh do you talk about your significant other in a way that, you know, do I call my partner he or do I just refer to him as Morgan and let mm-hmm. them make up their mind? You know what I mean? There's like mm-hmm. little things that people often take for granted. And I'm so, so, so exceptionally happy to hear that they knew the whole time and they picked you for for mm-hmm. you and your talents and I'm bowing. so what um as you move forward what kind of advice do you have for you know the state of education as a whole oh boy (laughs) a big one oh wait 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 before i go there based on what you said too with the whole way that this process goes is there now a possibility that owen bondano from michigan could be like teacher of the year for estados unidos (gasps) get Get out! Get out! Okay, I'm literally starting. Yeah. I'm making buttons as soon as I'm done. <laughs> um, back in October, I filled out my application for National Teacher of the Year. <gasps> and sometime this month, they announced the four finalists for that. And then sometime in the spring, they announce the winner of that. Because also, so some of the states do it per calendar year for, Michigan, for their Teacher of the Year. And some of them do it by academic year. Mm-hmm. Um, Michigan does it by academic year, but then the national organization does it by calendar year. So my cohort for National Teacher of the Year is 2021. Okay. Um, and so that's why it would be announced in the spring. But either way, once travel restrictions are not a thing anymore, hopefully, Jesus, um, <laughs> I will get to go meet Joe Biden. Whether no way. Oh, all yeah. The, all the state teachers of the year will get to go meet the president. All 50 and of you guys. Yeah, so I'm going to get to like shake Joe Biden's hand and hopefully Jill Biden. I'm like extra excited to hopefully meet Jill Biden. 
Humble brag. I spoke at a conference with Jill Biden. She's amazing. <laughs> Tell her I said hi. She owes me a phone call. Just kidding. Um, that's pretty cool. Have you have you uh, been acquainted with the other 50 or the other 49? Not formally. Our first like stuff where we're formally like talking and like meeting on Zoom and stuff um, in like these conferences is going to happen next month. But a couple of them took the initiative to put a Facebook group together. Cool. So, I've been talking to some of them via the Facebook group. Yeah, I can. I can like picture you guys like fifty little squares. You guys are all on a Zoom call, and Texas gets on there. They're like, "My name's Rick, and I'm the teacher of the year for the great state of Texas." <laughs> like, I can just picture like everybody just being from these states. <laughs> that is so fun. Um, okay, before we close, I do want to ask you a few things. What is, What do you What do you wish for the future of the American education system? You know, there's a lot of things that come to mind when I hear that question. You know, I think about like funding inequity. And I think about, you know, I'm, I'm learning through my teaching career that what we call the achievement gap more and more, I believe is an opportunity gap. Mm-hmm. And, and so I can talk about those things, but I really truly think that like the ideal of where I want school to be is just a place where every single student feels welcome and safe. Because I think that everything else that happens in learning happens because a student feels like school is a place where people care about them and where they can take risks and where they are part of a community. Mm-hmm. And that the thing about that statement is, is that looks different in different communities. You know, it's that's why we have such little success, I think, with like top-down initiatives in education is because inevitably we're designing for one kind of kid with those top-down initiatives. And I think that every community has to be able to structure school based on what caring and, and safety looks like for your community. But I think that would be my ideal vision is, is every kid feeling like school is a second home, I guess. Um, and for the listeners at home, it's kind of like I'm talking to 16-year-old Owen right now. You've always been this <laughs> wise figure. I'm not shocked that you just hit us with an ultimate truth bomb. <laughs> Whatever. And then, and, then, and then truly before we wrap, one of the things mm-hmm. that I feel like is so important is looking out for our rainbow children in the United States do you have any advice for teachers who are listening, you know, gay, straight, or whatever they are, how we can better serve um, our students who are under the rainbow spectrum? So I think that the most important thing for truly serving LGBTQ students is listening to them. You know, I've, I've done a lot of work in the last few years with like developing trainings for LGBTQ safe schools and like working with teachers in this capacity, but even when I think I know all the answers, my students who I talk to will tell me all these things I've never thought of about the ways that they're treated and the ways they wish they were treated and the things they wish teachers would do when things are happening in the classroom and so on. And truly having a way to allow rainbow kids to express what they need and want and then listening to them is the most important thing. One of the things I'm trying to get more schools to do when I talk to them is if you have a GSA or some other organization like it, allow those students, not allow, empower those students to come up with their own training for teachers in collaboration with the adults, of course, who can who can help them figure out how to make that run. But don't just let a teacher, you know, it's easy to put up a, a sticker or a poster that says you are safe here. But what if before you put that sticker up, you had to go through a training where the kids in your school told you what they needed you to do and that you promised to do those things before you could say you were safe for LGBTQ students? 
listening to them. Just listen to them. They know. They, they're the ones in it every day. And the world looks so radically different, even from when we were in school, which wasn't all that long ago, truthfully. But, you know, the world looks radically different for LGBTQ people. And so they know what's going on and they know what they need more than we know what they need. I love it. I love it. And I, oh, I cannot wait to continue to follow your journey because this is <laughs> the start, baby. This is just the start. Oh, and where can people find more of you if they want to like read things that you've written or where can where where can we keep up with the journey to see if you become the United States <laughs> teacher of the year? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter professional. Is, I know, right? It's <laughs> Owen Make Stuff, which is not professional, but whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, you can follow me there. And that's kind of what I got. It's just Twitter. God, I love you. Oh. Hey, Owen, thank you so much for coming on. This truly means a lot. And I know that we uh, hopefully inspired a lot of our listeners at home to just keep being great people and great educators. So thanks so much for giving us some of your time. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Can't thank Owen enough for being on the podcast. Absolutely a pleasure to be able to reconnect with him and to uh, just expose you guys to the amazing moves that he's making in education. I hope you love him. You guys go check us out over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Joe You got some perks coming out over there. And until next time, we will see you next week. Bye. Try to catch me hollering at the moon.